Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Pete Francis over Zoom video. You may recognize Pete Francis from the band Dispatch. He played in that band for a number of years. He tells us about where he was born and raised, Riverside, Connecticut, and how he got into music. He talked about seeing his brother open up for the Whalers, and that kind of changed his life, made him want to start a band, start playing music. He talked about attending Middlebury College, and that's where he met Chad and Brad, and, and they formed Dispatch. We don't get too into Dispatch because you can watch the entire interview with Chad and Brad and myself all about the origin story, really, of Dispatch. But Pete tells us all about his solo career his struggle with mental health, and the release of his brand new solo album, which is called Pattern Sky. You can watch the interview with Pete on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Pete Francis. Right on. First, so where were you born and raised? I uh, was born in New York City, uh, 1975, and I was raised in Riverside, Connecticut. My dad worked in, in the city and commuted Wow. Is that fairly closely? I'm I'm recently moved to Nashville and I'm just so bad. I'm originally from San Diego. So California is like, you know, San Francisco to San Diego is like 10 hours and it's the same state. You know what I mean? Like, and then the East Coast is so compact. So you're you lived in uh, you, he would tr he would go into New York City to work. Yeah. So we're, we're pretty close. Riverside is a part of a, a town of Greenwich. And Stanford is is right nearby. And I actually moved back with my wife and two kids, and we live in Old Greenwich. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like growing up there then in Riverside? Growing up was, was pretty cool. You know, um, my mom is Swedish, and just from the music side, she would play guitar a lot, guitar and piano. And I guess when she came into New York in the early 60s, she took uh, a boat over from Stockholm. Wow. And my dad and she had met at The Hague in Holland. But when they got married, then my mom came over. And so my mom is a very you know, creative person. And, and so she would sing Swedish folk songs. And there really was a lot of music in my house. And I'm kind of the youngest by a lot. My next brother's seven years older, next brother's 10 years older, and then my sister's 12 years older. So, but one of the really cool parts about that is they all loved music. And so from their different bedrooms, often I would just sort of be playing in the hallway with blocks or whatever from being a very little kid, five or, and then just remembering the music that they were playing and I think I just, it came in subconsciously. And one brother was, you know, a lot of Pink Floyd. Another brother, you know, got into to funk and credence. And my sister loved Joni Mitchell. 
And then my mom, as I mentioned, we'd have a guitar and I'd watch her play. And then my dad was strictly classical music. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it was cool to be in a family with so much music. And I think that really left a a huge impression on me. Mm -hmm. Were you the only one that pursued it aside from, I mean, it sounds like your mom played quite a bit. Yeah. My mom, my brother uh, was in a band and yeah, I always looked up to him. He was, he is still, he's a really good bass player. And so he was sort of, there was a scene in Porchester, New York, which is the next town over. You may have heard of the Capitol theater. That Mm -hmm. is where the Capitol theater is. Okay. And so I'd, Followed my brother around when I was pretty young to band practices. And I, I just, I think I thought it was cool. I thought the bands were cool. I liked the gear, the dudes. Um, and yeah, and, and one before the Capitol Theater was sort of bought in the last, I don't know what it is, 10 or 15 years and fixed up, it was still a little run down. And my brother's band opened up for the Whalers there. Wow. And I saw. I saw that performance pretty young, maybe 14 or 15. And I got to say that that I, 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 you know, I talked to my brother about that a lot, even today, that it, it just left a huge impression on me. Uh, and I remember <clears throat> the Capitol Theater, such a cool theater that um, that I was kind of hooked. And, and I think in many ways, I felt even at that young age that I wanted to be in a band. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, yeah, seeing your brother playing this, you know, this iconic venue and then opening up for this massive artist. I mean, that probably got the itch like, wow, like he's up there doing this. Like, this is something I think I could do. Yeah. I always thought the whale, you know, this is obviously without Bob Marley, but the whalers, just the band themselves was, and it's kind of cool later in my solo career, I got to tour a bunch of dates with Ziggy Marley and then Dispatch did play with Stephen and Damien at a gig at um, the, where was that? The Greek theater in LA. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Whalers are awesome. I've seen them uh, a few times when I was living in San Diego, they'd play uh, yeah. LA up Tavern and different places around that area. Love them. That's cool, man. That's really cool. So what was the first instrument you learned how to play? Were you put on piano or anything like that? Yeah, I was put on piano, but I, of course, I, I, I regret not <laughs> sticking with it um, because I, all I wanted to do was baseball when I was eight. But then it was guitar. I think, you know, my mom, it was funny. My mom had her dad's guitar and it was a nylon string guitar. And I don't know if you've, you've, tried playing or if you play but nylon string is is easier on the fingers than a steel string sure so that was um that was a great spot to begin mm-hmm. so maybe 15 but the um, neck is a lot fat i'm not i'm not by any means a great guitar player i can play some, some chords but yeah. like i remember yeah like with the, the more of the classical guitar it's just like a fatter neck right that's true this particular one wasn't too fat and I think that me and my siblings, my brothers, at least, we all learned on that. Um, and then, yeah, I think I really, I got the bug, the guitar bug, big time. And and once, once I started playing, I took lessons and then I just studied and studied and worked on it, worked on it. 
um, all the way latter half of high school and, and into college. Did you play in a band in high school? You know, I just messed around with some okay. friends, not, not like a serious band. I, I was very into soccer was my, was really my main focus. And then I had some unfortunate ankle uh, injuries that I had to have both ankles operated on and Ooh. I never could play again, which was such a huge bummer because I wanted to play in college. At least I thought I had a shot at it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, because of that, I, I went to Middlebury Crutches and sorry, Middlebury College and arrived on crutches. And uh, uh -huh. I spent a lot of that year on crutches, but uh, really it, it offered me time to sit down with the guitar. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where I, I just played a lot. And then you started a band there. I mean, prior to Dispatch, even prior to the, the band that you guys were before changing exactly. the name. Yeah, I, I had started a band. Like I said, I really, I wanted to be in a band and I had songs that I had written and I wanted to play them. So I was asking around and I met different musicians. Um, yeah, and then I met Brad in the fall of 94 or 5, and then Chad in that February. And with when I met Chad, I was actually playing a gig for his orientation. He did tell me that. Yeah, he said that, that you guys played his freshman orientation. Yes. Were you yep, Hermit Thrush? Was that the band? I would not. Not then. I have okay. no idea what we were called then. Was that later yeah, then? Chad, uh, yeah, when, when Hermit Thrush, yeah, was when I met Chad, okay. and then he and I were fronting a band. Brad and I were doing sort of acoustic duo stuff, and I had thought, wow, you know, these two guys are have a lot of talent, and, and I bet if the three of us could could get together, but you know, they were a bit hesitant. One was more hesitant than the other. And it took a fair amount of convincing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were telling me that there was like some drama between like, I think, was it Peter thing called like, uh, or not Peter. Uh, you're Peter. It was Chad, like, like something with the Indigo boy, some acoustic thing, or maybe that was your thing. And then there was, yeah, we got, yeah, yeah. yeah, we got, uh, we got teased. I mean, the upperclassmen, you know, here's these guys with the guitar. You're, you're kind of setting yourself up to get teased. But yeah, the three of us, we were doing acoustic thing. They call us the Indigo Boys. Um, and I thought we're like, oh, yeah, well, we'll we'll learn our instruments. And I don't know if you remember that Beastie Boys record, Check Your Head. Oh, yeah, that, man. That, that record was really big for us because here were three rappers who decide let's pick up electric instruments and then we'll play so we took that as a model for us oh, okay and, and then brad no you know brad hadn't played much drums i hadn't played much bass other than watching my brother so we really kind of learned and came up together you know mm -hmm. it wasn't like anybody was a super um accomplished musician when we met we had a passion for music and we liked a lot of the same bands and then i think what what really helped us is we had a very strong vocal blend mm -hmm. so the vocals really i think the harmonies were really really tight mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they they both both Chad and Brad said that you were the one that kind of uh, pulled everybody together. He's they said that just to eventually start dispatch, like you wanted them to like Brad and Chad to meet each other or something. They, they kind of they, they yeah, said they, that you were the guy that really pulled everyone I was, in. I was the guy. They were a bit unlikely characters to meet. <laughs> yeah, and they said you pulled together. You pulled them together, and then the the band really started and. You guys accomplished so much from, you know, from there on out. Yeah, we, yep. That's amazing. Um, During your time in, in dispatch, I think I read that you were also doing solo, like, were you always writing songs kind of as as a side passion project while the band was going? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. And I think the other guys were too. Um, so really, if we started working and writing together in 95, so there were that like those five years. Um, and, you know, we put a lot of time in. And so I think around that time, maybe we might have thought that there's some songs that would work with Dispatch and some that some sorry, that may work better with with our solo work. Mm-hmm. And. Everybody, in a way, kind of wrote different stuff. I, in 2001, I put out a record called So They Say. And I'm not sure, I haven't really mentioned it, but poetry was always a really big part of my life. It was a part of my life in high school. And I probably was more of a poet before I was a songwriter or a musician. Oh, okay. And, and at, yeah, and at Middlebury College, I was an English major with a focus in poetry. So I always loved that. And my first record, I think, is a pretty poetic record. A lot of the songs were kind of born out of poems. And and so, yeah, that, that was definitely a big part of my writing process. And so maybe I felt that some of those more poetic or um, slower songs might be good on my first uh, my my first solo record's called So They Say. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, and that came well from just from what I've seen, it was like early two like two thousand five or something like that. Exactly. Two thousand one. Yep. Oh, two thousand one. Yep. Okay, even earlier yes. than I anticipated. Yeah. Uh yeah. So you put that out and then was um with the solo thing, did you do that? Like were you, you know, playing shows solo and also kind of doing the thing with dispatch at the same time, or was that like you just want to put the record out because these are songs that you're passionate about. I'll put the album out and it'll just kind of be it's do its thing. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of both because, okay. you know, we we really toured and we worked a lot. And I think maybe we needed a break break from each other. Um, everybody, you know, felt prolific. Um, I connected with, you know, a really great producer engineer jack gothier in um in rhode island at lake west recording studio and when dispatch had done our early records there and and jack introduced me to a couple great really jazz musicians and i worked with them and made so they say so that was probably a thing you, you know when you're working with three guys who a lot of ideas you're kind of juggling which songs will work. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that early part of us doing every doing solo work, everyone was 
trying to work that out. What songs would be good for Dispatch? What might be better solo songs? Okay. Yeah, because you could have wrote a song and yeah, maybe it won't work for this, but I, yes. it's a great song. So in the, yep. I, I want to put it out, but obviously it'll just do it on, on this project instead. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I'm the last question I really have on dispatch, just because I know I, if somebody wants to to see their story, you know, they could watch the the other interview. Uh, but I remember they were telling me um, about recording that first album. You all had to drive to Denver, and like the the rec- the timing was like some yes. horrific time was, period. Do you remember that? It was crazy. I think. Brad had maybe set the dates aside, but we, maybe we didn't, you know, in typical 19, 20 year old fashion, forgot to lock it in. And <laughs> so they were, they were booked during the day. They were booked and they said, well, we can record you from nine at night to four in the morning. <laughs> and being 20, we were like, no problem. Right. But it was hard. You know, we worked, we worked through the night and that was our first record, you know, it was, but it was cool. You know, it was a, it it was a a nice studio in, in, uh, in Denver. Uh And that was a big adventure. You know, we drove out, my brother had one of those Westphalia cool Volkswagen, like not an older one, kind of newer. And we drove out from Connecticut to Denver and, you know, we dispatch, we certainly took on adventure. We, we, you know, we were out there and then we're recording our very first CD in the middle of the night. That, that's but, such a cool story that it must, it, you, that you probably guys felt like such rock stars, like, okay, we're going to drive out. Like we're leaving our home, you know, hometown or leaving the college. We're going to go to Denver and we're going to record an album. Like, that there must have been some buzz there man it was it was exciting times and this is really the height of or to me i guess of when cds were out you know so to make our own cd to pick the album cover to work the credits and to put the thank yous and all of that was so important to us Mm -hmm. that uh and it's almost kind of a lost art now of course because we're not printing CDs, but then they meant the world to us. So mm-hmm. I think we were we were really so proud. Yes, see so your name on the on the CD, and yeah, yeah. I don't I, know something about it now. You. So we were, yeah, we were called One Fell Swoop at the mm-hmm. time, uh, and that was the name before Dispatch. Um, but yeah, it was all about the songs and making music and and putting it together. And I think the three of us were aligned on working hard and, and trying to present, present something we were proud of. Did you record that first album as one fell swoop? Was that the, and yes. did you change the name later? Oh, I didn't realize that. That and the bang bang album were, were recorded as one fell swoop. And then we got a cease and desist letter from a band in St. Louis that had proof, I guess, that they had the name longer than we did. And little, you know, we didn't even get a lawyer involved. We just thought, all right, I guess we can't use that name. And we changed it. And I think 
luckily dispatch is a better name. Yeah. But, and look uh, where they are now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so funny how some of those things work out. Like we're a I band. Know. You're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> are you a band? Um, <laughs> well, so tell me about this, this album you have coming out. It's, uh, it's still a month or so away, correct? It is. Yeah. We've put out two singles. Uh, first single is called Scared Without Your Love. The second single is Can't Get On With It. The name of the record is Pattern Sky. But and it's a bit then, different than what you've done prior, right? Yeah, it, it is definitely different. Um, I guess I would start out by saying being in, in studios my whole life, I always was so fascinated by the gear, the process of recording, but Frankly, I was intimidated about how one could learn how to do it. And I did some, um, I did a, some other solo records. One I did with a, a guy named Jeff Trott, who co-wrote a lot of Cheryl Crow's biggest hits. Oh, wow. And I went, yeah, it, it was really cool, man. Like, um, let's see, Every Day is a Winding Road, Soak Up the Sun, uh, if it makes you happy. So he's a really accomplished songwriter. Yeah, all the, and the, probably the most, uh, you know, the songs people maybe know the most the, if they think of Cheryl Crow. Yeah, maybe the catchiest ones. And so I was super psyched. And and my wife and I went out to LA where, and he was in Manhattan Beach and we rented an apartment in Hermosa Beach. And my brother was in Venice. So it was super cool, like, we went surfing. Of course, I just crashed in the sand surfing. Is <laughs> that was me, man. I grew up in San Diego. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I wish, but I'll just watch. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was super cool. And what, what I what I loved, Jeff had a studio in his house. And he just was a, he, not only a great musician, but he was engineering the project which I thought was cool. Okay, so you hear you have a songwriter. He's an excellent guitar player. Um, and then he was able to bring in musicians who I really admire. A couple of musicians work a lot with Beck. Um, let's see, who else? Yeah, and then just a, an amazing drum. Some really top flight musicians. And I, and I was really excited to work with them. Part of my, my love of being a musician is working with very talented masters because I feel like I learned so much, you know? Mm -hmm. So basically from that experience, I thought in my back of my mind, wouldn't it be cool someday to have my own studio in my house and record? And so in 2013, Katie and I bought this house in Connecticut and I built a studio, but it took me time to learn how to record. I worked with other people, friends came over. But finally in the pandemic, I think I put a, a lot of time on getting, you may know this pro program, it's called Logic. It's mm -hmm. Apple's program for recording. And I use Logic. I tried Pro Tools, Ableton, and I guess I just felt most comfortable with Logic. And then I have a good friend who I, I would do, I still Zoom with him. And he's, he's a whiz with logic. And so he taught me. So this long story is leading to Patterns Guy is a record that I engineered most of the music 
I sang and I wrote and I, I played bass, guitar, keys. I didn't play drums. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the story. I guess that's the biggest point about it. And then what I would add is a bunch of songs. I use drum loops because I didn't always have a drummer here in the studio, mm-hmm. but these days there are the, there's so many cool drum loops. There's, you may have heard of a program or I guess it's an app called splice, but splice is filled with loops, loops galore. Like, Oh really? Vocal, I've heard of the app, but I've like, never opened it or messed yeah, it. <clears throat> vocal loops, percussion loops. I mean, it is a, a treasure trove for someone who wants to write and compose. And for me, I would grab drum loops. And I think from playing with Brad a lot, of hearing just him with the drums, I used to always love to come up with bass lines. He'd be playing the kit and I'd be like be inspired to play a bass line. So I think that carried over to being in the studio. And, you know, in my thirties, I went back and studied piano. So I have some knowledge of, of chords, you know, I'm not a great pianist, but at least chords and, and that sort of thing. So I would do bass lines and chord progressions um, and then right now, and I guess the last few years, I'm on a huge synthesizer kick. <laughs> and a lot of the synths, you know, have from the eighties have resurfaced and the mini Moog, you know, Moog, these amazing synths. So I wanted to use the synths, acoustic guitars. And it's funny, I think in a lot of way, I'm just hearkening back to my love of Pink Floyd, where they used mini Moog and synths and delay and all these great things and that that's essentially a patterns guide you know it's five or six of these songs are loop based but i did have um drummer kenny shaw who i work with he came in and and we did we did stuff and then i got to work with a engineer producer named scott jacoby and he is super talented uh, engineer, producer, musician, and he dug the demos and he even helped me wire the studio. I met him and I said, Hey, do you know anybody who could help me, you know, get my studio more into a better workflow? And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll come and help you. Wow. So he helped my, you know, and, and he won a, a Grammy for mixing a vampire weekend record. He's worked with Coldplay and then he's worked with like, Sia, Corey Henry, you know, like a lot of great musicians. So I really felt kind of honored that he, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to work with me. And then, and then he wrote me an email, Hey, what are you working on? And I sent him a few of these songs and he really loved them. And so we worked a little bit more on them and we worked here and his studio is called Usonia in Manhattan um and then he mixed the record so i don't know if you've gotten to spend much time with the record but it really the sounds of it are are really quite good no yeah i've i have they sent me the like an advance of it it's an awesome album thank you yeah and i was gonna say you were like super vulnerable with you know discuss like some of the topics you discuss on the record and i know you've been vocal about mental health and stuff and something i struggle with and i I am in aa i have addiction issues and the whole thing so it's cool to see someone you know 
talk openly about this. And um, yeah. was that a hard thing to do? I mean, to be that honest? I think it's, I, think it's um, I really like talking to people. I really do. And I like talking to sensitive people. Um, I've been in therapy my whole adult life, you know, psychotherapy, psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in various treatments, TMS, ECT. So, so I've dealt with major depression, bipolar disorder, and pretty difficult OCD thinking. Mm-hmm. And my thought with it is, I think, you know, as tough as our world is now, I also think that people are opening up. People are opening up about addiction issues, the fact that you can talk about it. My brother, you know, had went through AA. We can talk about it. Um, so not only do I feel like it's important to talk about, I think it's time to talk about it mm-hmm. and, and not to talk about it. I think we can, we, we really should be able to lose the stigma. You know, people have depression, some have you know, bipolar, uh, schizophrenia, some various serious things. But I I always thought it was sort of sad in earlier times that a lot of this was sort of swept into the closet and, and were not able to talk about it. But I'm sure you and I could talk a little bit about this, about people's sexuality, people being harassed, were this is coming out. We're talking mm-hmm. about it. And I hope, I hope, I think that we're, we're healing in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I do think that by talking about it, it's healing. I'm okay talking about it. I've been through, I've been through a lot. I've been hospitalized, um, but I'm okay talking about it. And here's another reason. I think that by talking about it, it can make us stronger. Mm-hmm. I think it's made me stronger. And that record pattern sky, I could not have written without those experiences. So I sort of led by telling you about learning the recording process, but emotionally, intellectually, I guess, by going through what I was going through, I felt like I could have this be a cathartic process and tell people, one friend of mine says, man, you ask a lot of questions on this record, you know, tell mm-hmm. me why I can't get on with it. Why am I so broken? You know, and I, you know, I think we're all more alike than we give ourselves credit for. I also think we've seen in years about you're this way, you're that way. I don't like, you know, and polarized too, but I think in a way we can see through that fog and begin to see, you know, I think we're, we're a lot alike. Right. You know? Right. I, I think we are like, okay, the media, it gets super hyped. And yes, there are crazy, sad things that are going on in, in our country and in the world. But I don't think by pointing out how polarized we are, that we're going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. I actually think that through conversation in a real honest way that we can make real steps, you know, for healing. And then I guess what I'm trying to say is that even through healing, this can be transformative. 
and that's what I'm trying to, that's what I feel like Pattern Sky is taking that energy and trying to bring it out in a positive light. Mm -hmm. I, and I love that. And I a hundred percent agree. It's like knowing someone else is going through something or has been through something that you're also feeling or going through. There's that sense of like, you're not as alone, right. And not as isolated. It's like, I feel like that's why like 12 step programs work. It's because you're surrounded by other people and you have this community of people that are all like-minded in the sense that you can speak with them and say something or, or share something that they also might be going through or are able to help you in, in, in a way that they, you know, and they know how, what your brain is going through at that moment. You know what I mean? And there's something special about that. I think there is, you don't feel alone. I think when people may, some of the, sadly people acting out in violence feel extremely isolated. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and, and I'm sort of using the phrase mental forgiveness rather than mental illness. I love that. I've, I've never heard anyone say that. That's beautiful. Thanks. And I don't know, man, I just, I met people in the hospital or, and I, uh, and I see that we're sort of just brought to square one and just people talking about difficult things about our minds not operating or, or well. And I think that kind of honesty sort of grounds me and and then I, as I mentioned, it brings ideas that I think I can be creative with. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's like within this, you know, this negativity or this sort of blanket, I'm also saying that that's fuel for the fire of your, of your soul, mm -hmm. of, you, you know, of your, who you are. Uh, and that's why I think as you were mentioning being brave and, and being in AA and talking about difficulties, I think that there's real room for us to grow as human beings um, by being sort of relaxed and open about mental illness, mental forgiveness. And, and whether someone is stricken, maybe not as serious as what I've dealt with or other people, you know, we, being able to talk emotionally and openly is something that I think is important. I think kids go to school for intellectual education, but I still believe emotional education is also important. Mm -hmm. And know? I feel like, and I 100% agree with everything you just said, and I think there's something, like I've said, and I've shared before that I'm, you know, is, is, I'm glad that I, my brain was formed the way it is and I am the way I am because I, if I, it definitely gave me, it took me 38 years, 37 years to figure it out. But at least now I'm able to kind of look more into myself and kind of figure out more of who I am. And like, in, 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 like you talk about in the album and, and you, and you talk about just having that introspective, which I don't think a lot of society will do if you, like it almost like forced me into going, okay, let me look at my character defects. Let me look at these issues in my life and things that I've done that I would have never, I don't know if I would have done if I wasn't doing what I'm doing currently. I think you're right. 
I mean, you probably just just got very deep and and looking at yourself and looking at your growth. And I feel that by your growth, there's a certain magnetism that we don't really talk about because it's an invisible force. But by you working on yourself and healing, that energy attracts others mm-hmm. and can feel that they can do the same or maybe they can learn from you or just because of your sensitivity, you know, the conversations or who you work with, maybe it gets deeper. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. Do you feel like you had any, like putting out the album, well, the album isn't out yet, but like putting it down and writing these songs and, and, and expressing yourself in this way, was that th- even more therapeutic at all? Or was it, you were finally at the point where you knew that it, it was, easy and you, you knew you could do it i guess easy isn't the word but it's I, time to do it yeah i i really wanted to do it and finishing it i can't you know i just feel proud um i want to be open about you know my mental forgiveness what i was going on so others so we can feel I think people should feel safe and that they shouldn't feel isolated, you know, and I think um, a lot of, you know, suicide or things like that, maybe people just feel that they can't talk to someone and and, and right. sort of feel that if you, now that what you've been through, you talk, someone's talking to you and say, I hear you. I hear you. I'm le- I, I hear you. And by you saying that, you're going to, that person is going to all of a sudden, like, right. I'm being hurt. People want to be heard. They want, and I think, you know, I've tried to become a better listener and listening because I think when you feel like you're heard, healing begins. Yes. You know, I agree. And that's something I've, I've been working on a lot now. I, I think it's, I find that interesting not interesting, but it's a hundred percent correct when it comes to hearing someone like someone else being heard instead of being like, Oh, let me fix the problem for you. Or let me, let me give, you know what I mean? It's like, they don't, yeah. need, they're just telling you this. They don't, they're not looking to you to be like, they're the fix the person to come fix them. They're just expressing how they're feeling to you in a, in a moment. And you're not going to be like, well, let me give you some advice. It's always just like, <laughs> it's like this, you know, I'm sharing something and then they're sharing something and we can both relate on a, a similar level instead of, well, you should have done this. It's like, well, no, that's not, what that's not what I'm looking for. That's what people have been telling me my whole life. You know, it's like, it's just such a different outlook and different way to approach these, these issues. I think it's awesome what you're doing in, 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 in yeah. And all that. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. I, I appreciate speaking with you. You know, I think, whether it's a kid or an adult, people love to be heard. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of step number one. And I think this record, if I can explain Pattern Sky, the why I titled that, Pattern Sky to me is sort of like my own sky, my own, my fingerprint or my, I also say my soul print, like from my soul. And I think that every human being has that. And I think that every human being has this specialness. But I I do think that 
we get a herd mentality or maybe, you know, marketing or, or selling us stuff puts us in the categories. And I feel like we're always categorized, you know, what kind of music, what do you do for work, da, da, da. But I do think that that pattern sky or your fingerprint, my fingerprint is super important in the sense of um, how I communicate and how I express myself. So that's what I feel like this record hopefully is a representation of the strength of being yourself. And and that's why maybe I am being open about these mental health issues because I think it's okay. And I think that being open has helped me make one of the record that I feel very, very proud of. Well, that's, I, I think the album again is, is incredible and it's coming out May 12th, I believe is what I read. Yeah. I think it's May 12th. There'll be a next single will be, um, it's called brighter days in, in like a week. Oh, cool. That one and, and, and mind yeah. over mind. I really like that song as well. I think that's a cool. Thank call. you. Yeah. Um, are you doing Thank any shows? Are you going to tour it or anything? Or is it just kind of yeah, like I've a thing some- you want to do? You know, I'm doing sort of like scattered shows, but in the Northeast, it's um, there's there's a very cool uh, outdoor amphitheater in Westport, Connecticut. I'm I'm gonna play. I'm gonna do a show in Asbury Park in Jersey. So it's fun. Like, oh, I'm doing a brewery called Knockabout Brewery. It, it's cool to sort of link together shows where you feel like people dig your sound, you know, so it's not for me, it isn't just a straight tour through the Midwest. I think that, and it was interesting. I think it was true of dispatch as well was sort of playing gigs where we knew we could have an audience. Yeah. And as we did that, the audience grew. And I feel like similarly with me, you know, I I did play city winery in New York city winery, Philly in Boston, and that's a super cool venue. Those guys have. Yeah. There's a cool one in Nashville too. Yeah. Is come that cool? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'd love to visit and come say hi in Nashville. I think Nashville say it was a kind of funny story, but when dispatch, we were in our van, which was called wimpy. We're in our van and wimpy. And we heard that lightning 100 was going to play one of our songs and and i'll never forget the three of us heard our song here we go um in our van uh, pulled over uh, in nashville (laughs) i love that i love hearing i talked to somebody earlier not today but uh, a few days ago about like hearing their song on the radio i have done radio that's where i came from i did it for 17 years through san diego and san francisco uh before well, I did. The, I was doing this podcast, but this kind of took over after during COVID. And anyway, uh, I loved hearing the stories of people saying, I remember hearing my song on the radio because that was cool to me. I kind of was in the when radio was like a peaked and then it was doing the decline. And I feel like now it's kind of an art that hopefully won't go completely. It's getting know, lost, it, though. There's a cool station, 107.1, the peak. It's over here and they play what. They played a tune of mine, a Pete Francis tune. Oh, cool. Like a year ago or so. And that was my wife were in, in the car and we heard it. And we're just like, 
you know, there's nothing like hearing your song on the radio. So yeah. I love that. That's such yeah, a cool that's story cool. and moment. Well, thank you so much, Pete, for doing this, man. I really, again, appreciate your time. Well, it's such a pleasure. I have one yeah. more question for you before I let you go. I want to know if you yeah. have any advice for aspiring artists. That's a, a good question. I, when I think about aspiring artists, like I really feel like record some songs that you feel good about and then begin to move slowly in the direction of friends and family. And if they're like, can you get a gig at the local bar? Can you get a gig at the school? I feel that you wanna, you wanna really feel the identity yourself rather than who will, who will like me? You know, you wanna, love your your thing your sound and then make up a little you know make up flyers or get your instagram you know happening i i really think it's about building something you love a kernel of goodness that you love and i think that becomes infectious or or magnetic you know the other people are like Whoa, that that's kind of a thing, you know. Those those guys or the couple those girls and those they got this thing and they're they're gonna do that um, bar and grill. They're playing that barbecue. They they're gonna go into the city. So I think you know with dispatch in my work, there when you feel like people want to go on that ride with you, um, that it's that it becomes super special as opposed to. You know, needing I, I just found like when you when you dive into needing an agent, needing a manager, uh, playing for showcase, playing for contest. I'm not knocking any of that, but but I'm saying what what I think is more what you're going to feel the glow from your inner glow is by building that thing where, holy shit, my brother is driving us to the gig and he's helping us set up our little PA and then so-and-so is going to bring some t-shirts that we pressed in the town next over. Like that to me, like, I know I can say, Oh, I played Madison square garden. And of course, like, yeah, that, that is <laughs> sold it out five times. Like, <laughs> like, of course the coolest thing ever, but, but just to give a little background of, when it began with us or w when I've been doing stuff with my wife, Katie, um, and, and she's an artist and she's doing, I mean, you know how you work with your wife, how cool it is when you work with someone you love, you're putting together something you're proud of. I think that's what, where it's all about for new artists, like build something beautiful and, and then one win at a time, one little, okay. So, if it's going to be that show at the beach, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And we're going to give it our all. I think the reason why I say that is because it'll mean something in the moment. And in the moment, it's really so important um, because we never know, obviously, where we're going to go or, or, you know, what's going to happen with the music. And um, I think there's a lot of pride that you can feel. And then there's nothing like togetherness collaboration even on a smallest level because 
Um, and being an artist, being a musician, to me, it's one of the great opportunities that we that we have or what you do involved with music involved with radio you know this is it's just a it's such a beautiful um quest to be on you know love it so that'd be my three cents Bring it back first.